This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast, presented by BetMGM and McKenny Hockey. I'm Mike Stevens. This is Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, it's our last preseason podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, bef- and until, you know, up until now, nothing has mattered. And still, nothing matters. But next True. week, things are going to start to matter. But yeah. let's talk about some things, I guess, that do matter moving forward here. In that last week, we talked for half the podcast, really, about the Anaheim Ducks and their RFA situation, how they had Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale unsigned, there wasn't a ton of progress going. There was some low-balling when it came to numbers. You know, it was a big, it was a big headache. Mm. And then we said, you know, who knows? Maybe by this time next week, this will be solved. Um, and we got half of that right. Trevor Zegris has signed in Anaheim. He's, he's, he's you know, the prodigal son has returned. Uh, three years, five point seven five million AAV. Ryan, what do we think of this deal? It's pretty interesting because you know we had discussed do the Ducks and Zegris go the sort of eight-year maximum, mm-hmm. uh, maybe something close to the Jack Hughes contract, or do they go with a bridge deal where you know Zegers n- sort of bets on himself and recognizes that the salary cap is expected to go up significantly mm-hmm. in the coming years? I almost feel like they split the difference a little bit. He almost, yeah, he almost did the, the I would say, the neutral decision on Yeah, that. because, you know, 5.7, that's a decent chunk of change. Yeah. Uh, it's probably going to be an underpay as, as soon as this year or, or maybe next year at worst. But three years gives Zegers that flexibility where, you know, if he does reach those heights that we all think he can get to, he won't be underpaid for too long. Mm-hmm. You know, once this bridge deal is done, he can be that Let's face it, maybe $10 million, $11 million yeah. player, given you know, what the cap situation will be like once this contract ends. So it seems like the three-year term was something that had been agreed upon for a while, and that they were just trying important. to figure yeah. out the number. So for me, at this point, with Jamie Drysdale still unsigned, if I'm not mistaken, last week I was thinking maybe Drysdale does a bridge where it's like $4 million for two years mm-hmm. each. But with Zegers only getting 5.7, now I'm, it kind of feels like Pat Verbeek, uh, the GM in Anaheim, is is driving a hard bargain. Oh, yeah. Maybe Drysdale only gets two or three at this point if he does a bridge. That's what I was bridge. saying. Yeah. Last week, I'm like, there's an, like Drysdale getting four on a bridge. That's a lot. Even for a team that still has $10 million in cap space. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know, the, even before they gave Zegers this, this uh, extension, like, I believe they had the most cap space out of any team in the league. So, so so it was more like they're protecting themselves for their like number one ranked pipeline uh, when those guys are coming up down the line. But the big thing here with Zegers is he's still an RFA after this expires. Mm-hmm. Like it like that and, and Anaheim did good into retain his RFA status because let's say he does become that that you know ten million dollar player that that you know he he has the potential. He really does have the potential to uh, to blossom into. Yeah. Well, hey, they still have his rights. They still hold leverage in the, in this case, and obviously he can get an offer sheet and, and there's arbitration and all that. But I mean, he he's able to uh, uh, he, he's able to or they're able to sort of hold on to him. I at this point, Drysdale and I, uh, you know it was reported by Elliot Friedman on Thirty Two Thoughts podcast uh, that he he like he wants to he wants to come back and he kind of wants to keep this quiet. Um, but there was something very interesting that was brought up with Drysdale in that apparently he, uh, because he's a 10.2 C guy, so he's not able, he, he's not eligible for arbitration and he's not eligible for an offer sheet. Um, and he's two games away from 
for, like he's two games away from being eligible for everything else, right? Mm. Like for, for all those things. And there was a, and, and Friedman, or, or, or it was Merrick actually reported this. He wanted to make it clear that there, that, you know, he, this is not like an ongoing investigation of this and this is, you know, whatever. But there were rumblings at least, and keep in mind, alleged rumblings, but this was reported on 32 Thoughts. So mm -hmm. if they get sued, we get sued too. <laughs> um, uh, but like that, that uh, uh, Drysdale, like, was like could have played the final two games of the season mm. then to get that that eligibility but the uh, uh but but maybe there was a decision on either side really to not mm. and that and therefore the, give the give the uh the ducks more of a, a cba hammer as mm. it was described so i find that very interesting because on top of that too like these are young players and as a young person let me just say i hold grudges <laughs> And these are even younger than me, and I feel like they they take things personally. Mm. Um, so this could be. I feel like the uh, the Drysdale situation might be you know might be more drawn out than this. Very possible. And again, it's interesting because you you just kind of assume at this point that they go bridge because because of the injury mm -hmm. Drysdale had, and and because he hasn't really had that much of an NHL track record. It's very much one of those prove-it contracts because we know that Drysdale has all the potential in the world as a mobile defenseman, very much that new school kind of guy in the, I, for me, sort of Miro Heskinen might be like the best case scenario for mm -hmm. Drysdale. Uh, or, you know, I mean, if you want to even shoot for the stars, a, a Kale McCarr. So he has that potential, you know, when he realizes that and if he realizes that are obviously the X factors. Yeah. Absolutely, it'll be very uh, it'll be very interesting to track this mm -hmm. um, because look, man, these are these are very good players. Yes, these are and, and you know good that that uh, that Zegris is signed. He obviously has the most potential, but like Drysdale, I mean, this is a this is a defense core that yes, just added a player, and that'll be a great segue into into our next topic. But I mean, he's an important guy. He's a top sure. ten pick. You you know just all that. But speaking of uh, the Anaheim Ducks defense core. They claim first-round pick uh, in, from 2019, Lassie Thompson, off waivers from Ottawa, um, which will lead us into a broader conversation on, on asset management here because mm. we go, that's, that seems like a pretty, regardless of what you think of Lassie Thompson as a prospect, his pedigree, and the fact that he, I believe he had 36 points in 56 games in the AHL last year, so that's very good for a young defenseman. He's a right shot, which is the most coveted um, position in hockey. You lose him for free. Mm. That's tough. And then... The Senators last night waived Jacob Bernard Docker and Igor Sokolov, two, uh, two of their top prospects, um, who could potentially, they could lose them for free as well. What is happening here? Well, the Senators are in an interesting spot. And it's funny because I know we talked about GM Pierre Dorian last week as well. And mm -hmm. uh, we had very much a good cop, bad cop. We did. Scenario, and I will continue that on for the okay, sake let's of, do it. Let's, let's, do it. let's embrace debate. I am Ryan A. Kennedy today. Uh, I and know I'm, Pierre Dorian. And I'm Steven. I have Steven. been to his house. No, I, I am I have Mike not. Kellerman, and you're yes. going to get me fired and beef with me in the media after this. would <laughs> be great. Exactly. So, okay, you know, a lot of Sens fans obviously are a bit alarmed by the waving of these three players, <laughs> these young players. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Travis Hamannick seems to be kind of the focal point. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, you know, Hamnick, in terms of his on-ice skills, obviously not the same as they were 10 years ago, but the Sens 
brass like him in the room. They like his veteran voice. And, you know, again, whether you agree with that or not, I'm just sort of the messenger I here. I don't think it's, it's uh, like, I don't know if we can agree on that or not. If they're telling us that, then... Yeah, this is just sort of what I've picked yeah. up, right? Uh, so they, they want Hamannick, and then obviously, you know, you have a pretty decent blue line core heading into the year already because you do have Chikrin, you do have Shabbat, mm -hmm. you do have Jake Sanderson, who is a young defenseman himself. And you just who's looking a huge deal. Too. Yeah, and he's looking like he's going to be obviously a staple of the mm -hmm. lineup, uh, you know, a top two pairing guy, probably even a top pairing guy for the next decade. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing for me, too, is, you know, I was at the Buffalo Rookie Challenge, which featured prospect teams from uh, six different organizations. Obviously, the Sabres were the hosts. Ottawa was one of them. And one of the standout players, one of the very interesting players there, was Jabril Touré, mm -hmm. a six foot seven, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or at least very tall. Ryan's height-loving yes. tendencies come, come again. Yeah. Here we Six go. Six or seven, late-blooming defenseman, played for the Sudbury Wolves last year, undrafted, and I actually had somebody contact me and say, like, look, this kid, you know, he had a ton of potential coming up. It was just a matter of a lot of, you know, wasn't drafted in the OHL. Mm -hmm. uh, teams thought he was, like, too gangly, and, you know, he wanted to be more of an offensive defenseman growing up. But what I saw from Toure at the rookie tournament was somebody that was very good in his own end, had good mobility, didn't look too gangly at all. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it feels like that was a bit of an assumption on the part of maybe some of the scouts that, wow. that could have taken him. Calling him out. Interesting. Call, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, what I saw is this is a... Calling it like it is. I like it. Yeah, this is a young man who has developed pretty well, mm -hmm. and he's obviously got great length and reach in the defensive zone because of his frame. And, you know, he's... Not going to give you numbers necessarily, but that's okay because if you're Ottawa, you don't necessarily need that from your blue line core. You already have guys that can mm -hmm. do that. So the Senators are in an interesting place right now where they've already graduated all their best young players. Mm -hmm. Kachuk, Stutzla, Norris, Pinto, Sanderson now. And, you know, JBD was sort of on the next level. I always liked Bernard Docker. I really like him, yeah. <clears throat> but he's more of a two-way guy, even yeah. more of a defensive guy. Unfortunately, at some point, you have to, you just have too many guys, mm -hmm. and you do have to waive some, and, you know, you make a point of asset management. Was there something they could have done? Yes. I, you know, I, I'm sure they hope that JBD sneaks through waivers, and, you know, maybe they can just sort of stash him in the AHL. It's not ideal uh, for somebody who's already played in the NHL, but, uh, you know, eventually, when you get better, you run out of spots, and you want competition for spots. So, you know, if, uh, you know, Max Gwinnett ends up being your seventh defenseman, mm -hmm. well, if he earned the spot, then he earned the spot. You want that competition. You want the best players to show up. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder if you know, the sort of two factors for me are them wanting Hamannick around the team yeah. and Jabril Touré. I'm not saying that he's the one that got JBD and Lassie Thompson on waivers, but at the least the Senators can say, okay, well... Our pipeline's not barren. We still yeah. have got, you know, we basically just got a free prospect in Toure, you know, signing yeah. him, at, you know, as an undrafted free agent. So we're not barren back there. So that, that's the sort of like glass half full interpretation. Yeah. So you signed an undrafted free agent. Yeah. Which means you can throw away a, f a former first round pick for free. If you like one better than the other, then hey. meritocracy.
That's great. Um, Not that Toure is going to make the Senators this year, but I'm saying you were if you weren't going to use Lassie Thompson, then I'm, I'm even speaking. You of, have to waive him. I'm even speaking of <clears throat> Bernard Docker. Like I would yeah. be shocked if he passes through. And same with Sokolov. Sokolov yeah. was phenomenal in the AHL last year. Keep in mind, this guy's 23 years old. You know, he uh, he turned 23 in June, so he was 22 all of last year. Mm. You know, second round pick from 20 from uh, 2020. Yeah. So he's only like two years out from his from uh, uh, his his draft. And the guy racked up 21 goals, 38 assists, 59 points in 70 uh, AHL games for like a bad you know Belleville Senators team. Mm. Um, this is like again, I don't want to be like the uh, the devil on the shoulder to your angel here, but right. I guess we have to. Like this is horrible asset management from the Senators, and this is a team that has done a phenomenal job this offseason of of building a roster with some very good moves as well and very good young moves uh, player moves in to bring young players in. Um, to get themselves ready, I picked them, it, you know, to to make the playoffs. Like, yep. I, like, you know, it's a fun bit to have on Twitter of another Dorian misfire or whatever for me, and that's great. But like, in in all honesty, like, this is a team that will likely make the playoffs this year. They have yeah. a ton of talent. They should. They should. Um, but and even if and you know, like, I was talking to to you know some some people who are relevant to the situation of the rink. Uh, um, you know, yesterday, and they were, they were like, yeah, Lassie Thompson was not going to make the team, and you know, he he was pretty good in the AHL last year, but is whatever. But regardless, like you have a you you spent a first round pick on this guy. Yeah. And it's the same with Bernard Docker. Like I'm I'm really high on Bernard Docker because look, man, he could be like like I feel like he is a young Hamannick, but like mm. like prime Hamannick. Like he oh. seems like a, a very good two way guy. He's a right shot. He's young. He's he's less expensive. For a team that doesn't have enough cap space to sign Shane Pinto, by the way, a guy you mentioned who they who they uh, elevated or graduated, well, yeah. he's, well, he's he's stuck in detention right now. Right. So, um, if they potentially lose Lassie Thompson, a 2019 first round pick, Jacob Bernard Docker, who I believe is a 2020 first round pick, or first, he, or, he might have been a second. I think he was. I think he was late first, wasn't he? He might have been late um, first. But I can look. I can check that. We'll but, call him top 40. Um, yeah, but top like a top forty player here. Let me look at that. He was first, he was twenty fifth overall. There you go. Okay, twenty sixth overall. All Sorry. Right. Yeah. So so you could potentially lose two first round picks and and a second round pick. And this is an early second round pick. They picked or yeah, they picked him sixty first over or no, so later second round pick. Yeah. Sorry, but a guy who who is twenty three also doesn't cost very much. Yep. And and just has proven to be a very good point producer the HL level and even at the NHL level. Like he's like he played five games and he got two he scored a goal or whatever. That's horrible asset management. Just to what? Keep a guy who, in all likelihood, probably shouldn't be in your lineup every night, mm. just because he's good around around the team. Well, how many other guys are good around the kids? Like, isn't that why you have Claude Drew? Isn't that why you have Vladimir Tarasenko? Isn't that why you have Thomas Shabbat? And all like, uh, it, it 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 blows my mind. And it's not even just that like, like they wave them because they might not have made the team. Because you're right. If if um. If a player isn't good enough to make the team, then you, you don't put them on the team. You know, this is a team that needs to to win now, or needs to maybe not win now, but start graduating. Progress, um, yeah, yeah. They certainly to need progress. to progress, yeah. Um, but like progression is is also like you want to have sustained success. Mm-hmm. The late Eugene Melnick said unprecedented success. Like, and I feel like throwing away these these twenty three and under, you know, high round pedigree guys. Mm. Like you, like you go through any team, and and you know they draft a guy in the first round, and you just burn that pick. So what's the solution? Would you have traded them? If you, if you think they're not gonna make it, yeah, I would. And you're like, we need to try and squeak these guys through waivers. Yeah. Either trade them or 
put yourself in a position where you don't have to waive good young players to keep veterans. But that position is that you already have a bunch of good players. Other yeah. than, uh, you know, like, other than if Hamannick turns out to be sort of your 7th D man that, again, is like more of a glue guy. Would you rather have Hamannick as a 7th D, or would you rather have Jacob, uh, Bernard Docker as a 7th D? I mean, I, I would take, yeah, I would take JBD, but again, like, I don't know the dressing room dynamic, and it but feels like Hamannick brings something that they want in the room, but it's very weird a la Wayne Simmons. And it's very odd, because, well, and now we know the Leafs are going to crumble because they don't have Wayne Simmons this year. But now they have Ryan Reeves. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. So. Um, no, but it, 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 it what bog, what's wild, too, is that, like, in his last two stops, Travis Hamannick was criticized for not being liked by his teammates, mm. specifically in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And so now he's in Ottawa, and apparently everyone likes him. That's great. But is he, like, is him being a glue guy? First of all, I feel like that's an indictment on all the other veterans that you have, that they can't step up and be glue guys. But if his presence just to, like, make some people happy in the dressing room is going to cost you two first-round picks and a second-round pick, all of whom have performed well in the pros. Well, he couldn't have cost them all three. He's only one person. That's true, but, I mean, he's, <laughs> like, if you... Basically, you can you can tie that, at least to these two, you can tie his presence there mm. to Lassie Thompson and to Jacob Renardocker if he gets claimed. Again, we're recording this at 11.45 a.m. Eastern time. It will be about two hours until we figure out uh, uh, whether or not. And if he sneaks through, then all of this is null and void. And they, they, they did, you know, the, the Matrix or the Mission Impossible, you know, slipping through the, the lasers. But I would be shocked if he gets through. I would, too. He's um, a very solid young player. Exactly. Yeah. So it just, it's just horrible, as I mentioned, for a team that, you know, like, look, they, they, they are not barren. But I don't think they're, especially at the point where they're at, I don't think they're in a position to be throwing away high-end young players mm. for the reasons that they're providing. Mm. It just... Like, like, there has to be a solution that doesn't include waivers. There has to be a solution that doesn't include losing these players for free. Yeah. Even if, like, at the very least, even if you get a seventh-round pick for them, mm-hmm. at least you got something. Right. You got more than what... You, you, you at the very least got more than, than nothing, than what you yeah. eventually lost this person for. But, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the problem with waivers, and every team has to deal with this where... And I can see it as a rival GM. It's but like, well, I could give you a seventh rounder or I could just wait two days and you'll have to put them on waivers. But that's just, that's just the system. You, you can think, only have so many players on your roster. Well, here's another thing, too, is like, just to, just to make it flexible, they could have waived Travis Hamannick. But they can't. Yeah. Because they gave him a no-move clause. Right. That's bad They made their management. Bed. They and, made their bed. And hey, look, it, it, we're talking about the peripheries of a roster here. Yeah. But... It's my opinion that that you know Jacob Bernard Docker could be a very effective top uh, you know very effective NHL defenseman for far longer than Travis Hamonic is uh, uh, is going to be, mm-hmm. and it just uh, kind of boggles my mind here a bit. Um, but all right, moving on. Andre Vasilevsky, staying mm-hmm. in the Atlantic Division, I guess. Yep. Andre Vasilevsky is going to be out for about two months of the season, which likely you know pinpoints him coming back around December. That's pretty wild, man. Like that is yeah. tough because. As we've talked about, uh, Jonas Johansson and uh, uh, Matt Tompkins and Matt Tompkins are the two goalies on the the uh, Lightning roster right now. Mm. Regardless of what you feel about the Lightning's, you know, depth and talent up front, they cannot go into a se- into a contending season with, through the first two months of the, through the first two months of the season at least with Jonas Johansson as their starting goaltender. Yeah, and this is so tough because you know with all the cap 
mm-hmm. implications and you know I mean you can get cap release for Va- for Vasilevsky but then once he comes back you, you know have like to figure it out you got to figure you're it just out punting it down the road so you're punting, yeah, yeah exactly it's not really the same as like a skater mm-hmm. where you can move different guys around a goal you only know, you only ha- really have two three goalies on your NHL roster at any given time mm-hmm. so. You know, I'm, I'm, I was trying to think of a solution, and I know people have thrown out sort of potential stopgap names, like whether it's like a Caden Primo or a Martin Jones mm-hmm. or even, you know, Capo Kakonen. Um, but I, I kind of feel like if you're Tampa Bay right now, it just feels like none of those guys would be like a huge step up. And then obviously you, you would have to trade for them. Yes. You'd have to give things up. I wonder or if... Or you wait for waivers. Like, the, like or you can wait for waivers. There's going to be a lot of goalies on waivers. Maybe. I haven't seen many yet, but maybe that'll change. You know, like, it, it always happens on like that last cut down day. Sure. It yeah, happens yeah. every year. The, yeah. You know, the, like teams will be in that Garrett Sparks, Curtis Yeah, McElroy. well, Spencer Martin already. Exactly. Yeah. And he immediately got claimed. Yeah, like, yeah. So there will be options for them, I think, on waivers. Yeah. So I, I think waivers might be the only thing I'd be comfortable with. I was trying to, you know, I was looking at their goaltending depth. And it, it, it's not a good situation right now. Part of me was like, ah, oh, you know, Hugo Aldefelt is kind of their best goaltending prospect mm-hmm. that's close. But, I mean, he's still young and, you know, his numbers are, they were okay in the AHL last year. They were better than their other sort of regular goaltender. Yeah. Um, I believe it was Maxim Legacy. But they weren't great. I think he had a 904 save percentage in the AHL. Not great. Not great. Yeah. You know, can you muddle through for two months? That's a long That's time. That's a long time, man. Yeah. The only thing I could think of is if you can kind of play like whack-a-mole with teams where it's like, hey, you've never seen Hugo Alnefeld before, so we'll play him for one game. And then it's like, hey, you've never seen Matt Tompkins before, so we'll play him one game. And Jonas Johansson can kind of be the guy that shoulders. He's the glue? He's kind of like shouldering the load. And, and again, this is like a bad scenario. But if you're Tampa yeah, no Bay, kidding, yeah, if you're Tampa Bay, I think... You know, can you win some games 6-5 or 7-6? Yeah, you can, depending on your opponent. But it's, it's going to be a tough slog. They're, they're going to have to be very strategic and sort of say, like, okay, we're playing Montreal. We really need to pick on Montreal tonight. Yes. Like, we really need to, you like... Need to bully, they need to bully You got to bully them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, we've got Chicago. Okay, we really need to win that one. They need to kick the one. defenseless kids on the And then, when you're, yeah, yeah, when you're playing Toronto or Boston or even Florida, they you're pray. like... You say, like, you know, our hearts are with you, Matt Tompkins. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just going to let the chips fall where they may. You know, sorry about your save percentage. But I, I think that's kind of what their only option is right now because you don't want to make any moves that will hurt you four or five months down mm-hmm. the road or even next year because the, the Lightning are still in their window. I yes. mean, even though they lost in the first round last year, they were probably the better team in that series. They absolutely were the better team in that series. Um, and, you know, they're not as deep as they once were, but they still have Stamkos, Hedman, Point, Kucherov, Sorelli. Like, that's yes. a pretty good nucleus. Like Cernak, yeah. Sergachev. Like, you, we, we could go down the list. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think this will sink them, but it's going to make the road very tough. And the one – actually, I shouldn't say it won't sink them because, hey, it might – the one analogy I would have is when the Islanders had that really rough start where, mm-hmm. you know, their new rink was opening, so they're on the road COVID, a bunch, so, and they had yeah. a l- really bad their COVID Their entire wave. team had COVID, basically. Yeah, exactly. I remember talking to some of the Islanders, I, I think that the summer afterwards, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and Mar Matt Barzell was saying, like, the hill was just too high to climb. Like, mm -hmm. once we all got healthy, we had a good roster, but it was like every loss was the end of the world yes. because we were so far behind because of that bad start. So that's the big fear if you're the lightning is that the mountain just becomes too high to climb. Yeah, and there's also like we we all talk about the uh, the American Thanksgiving theory, right? That yep. if you're if you're out of it by America, if you're not in the playoffs by American Thanksgiving, the chances of you actually being there are like I think it's like a twenty five percent or something. Like someone has done the math; it's very low. Yeah, it's like in the NFL where like if you start zero and three, like you're basically guaranteed to not be able to make the playoffs. Like it's an insurmountable hill. And two months that brings us to like a week or two after American Thanksgiving. There you go. And if they, like, they, the, the, the Lightning cannot go into the season with, with Matt Tompkins and Jonas Johansson. They will, they will basically put in a claim for every goalie they can who gets right. on waivers, and they will, they will either get one or they will trade a conditional fifth for Martin Jones or whatever. Like, it'll, it'll happen, and they will just pray that they can get through the start of the season. Yeah. But this is also, like, and I know that, that not every, I, I know that, like, not every team has perfect depth. Like, every team, if they lose their superstar goaltender, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. But, like, this is also maybe a, 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 a I would say maybe this is also a depth, or not a, a depth, a testament to their lack of depth as, at goaltending. Like, every, yeah. like, most teams, we've talked about this offseason, like, there are a lot of teams that have, like, three quality goaltenders, like, that are, that, which is why waivers are, are going to be so packed. Yeah. The Lightning have won. Yeah, and part of this is them going for it for so many years. Because yes. if I'm not mistaken, they had Magnus Krona, who yes. won a national championship with the University of Denver, but they traded him, or his rights at the time, to San Jose. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is part of, you know, when you're winning Stanley Cups, you got to make sacrifices, and sometimes the bill comes due it a seems lot later. Like, it seems like that bill is coming due more and more frequently for the Lightning. Like, does it not yeah. seem that way? Like, they... Like they they were able to plug holes with with these these I would say like more under the radar guys or yeah. these diamonds in the rough, and it just seems like less and less of those guys have been hitting. Like I'm even looking at their cap friendly right now. Like remember Philippe Myers? Yeah, they yeah. really like they they took a swing on them because they thought he's a he's sort of like a market inefficiency. Like we can fix him. Yeah, they they haven't been able to. You know, like uh, uh, even Isamont, like or Isamont. Mm -hmm. However, one day I'll learn how to pronounce that guy's name. But like he didn't really give them much. Uh, uh, you know, like just players like that. It, yeah, the Ross Coltons are, well, it's funny because they, like, they lost Ross yes. Colton. I think Cole Kepke could be that next guy, mm -hmm. but whether it's this year or next year is the big question. And Tanner Janot as well, like, like they need him to, to chip because they traded a lot for him and they're like, yeah. this guy can be, there's a reason why they traded a lot for him. They thought he could be a cheap, big scorer for them. He could be their new Brandon Hagel because they really hit on that Brandon Hagel. Yeah. Uh, and, and even like the Nick Paul trade as well. But it just seems like this bill is coming more and more due. And when you, like that's the thing about a roster is like, uh, like Tampa's is that, you know, they are very top heavy. Like they have some very good uh, um, pieces at the top of each position group. Mm. But if one of those gets knocked out and goaltending is the most crucial, then the house, of, then the Jenga tower kind of falls. The house of cards kind of falls, whatever yeah. metaphor you want to use. Yeah. Um, all right. The Minnesota Wild. Mm -hmm. They re-signed a bunch of guys. Yeah. Uh, they got Matt's Zuccarello, uh, two years, four point one five, and uh, which is a discount actually for him, which is wild. And he was they, making six. Exactly. Yeah. And then they all, and then they uh, they went out and they got, excuse me, Marcus Foligno, four by four, which is I think a less good extension than the other one. Um, Ryan, like I always say, what do we think of these deals? Yeah, I, I think the Zuccarello one is great because. 
Uh, the backdrop of all of this is that the Wild are in cap hell because yes. of the Ryan Suter and Zach Parise buyouts. It's $15 million in dead cap. Yeah, this year and, and next year. year. And yeah. then after that, it comes down to 1.6. Yeah. Yeah, so they basically just need to survive this year and next year. And I think the Zuccarello deal really helps that. Felino, yeah, it's, it's a long deal given that he's already in his 30s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his production is not like tremendous uh, you know he is a physical presence but I, I almost feel like expectations in Minnesota should only be so high like they're not in terrible space because Kirill Kaprizov is signed for the next three years yes. Matt Boldy just signed a long-term extension that's even further along than that um, they and have then a franchise goalie they now, have a franchise goalie which and, is big. yeah and uh, in Philip Gustafson yes and you know, Brock Faber's coming up, mm-hmm. and I think he'll be a very impactful uh, rookie for them. Uh, so they don't have to worry about his contract for a couple of years. So they're okay. I, I don't think they're going to be competing for the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in the same division as Colorado and Dallas, I, I kind of feel like it's like you'll make the playoffs, but you probably won't get out of the first round. You'll get some good gate revenue for at least two games. Yes, good maybe just two games. And good on you for that. There you go. But, yeah. So I think right now you're just kind of in the mushy middle, but the mission should be to make sure that you're in a good spot once that dead cap space is gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Kaprizov, Boldy are your cornerstones up front. This is a big year for Marco Rossi. Yes. Like, we need to see him to jump. Yeah. be an NHL player and produce mm-hmm. at a great clip. That will help as well. Absolutely. But are they a threat? They don't look like one right now. Yes. Um, look, I love the Zuccarello deal. I think, like, this guy is, like, a borderline point-per-game guy. He's going to he, – he is the perfect to, uh, uh, to Kirill Kaprizov. Like, the two of them just work really well together. Zuccarello is a phenomenal – um, uh, playmaker yep. and also and and where he and where he thrives is that he doesn't have to drive play on that line. It is now Kaprizov who can take that responsibility. The Felino contract is going to look really bad. Like like yeah. I am I am uh, he's a lovely guy. Like I'm, you know anytime the Wild coming through here, he's a great quote. Totally love him to death. The whole Felino family is just they're lovely. Um, but man, like uh, like his numbers are like he had a career year in 2021 22. Um, which was, you know, 23 goals, 19 assists, 42 points. He was shooting a league-high 23.5%. The year before, in like a pandemic-shortened season, um, people were like, wow, he's really producing well. He had 11 goals, 15 assists, or 26 points in 39 games. Cool, he was shooting 27.5%. So the fact that he sustained that shooting percentage over two straight years is wild. Last year, though, went down to 8.4, and he had seven goals, 14 assists for 21 points in 65 games. His average ice time dropped by a minute and a half, um, he, it just did not seem to work, uh, uh, very well. And prior to, to that pandemic shortened season, he had never scored more than 13 goals or 23 points in a single season. Mm-hmm. And you're giving him four by four for a team that, that it's like, it basically means that you're, you're, you're handcuffing yourself to being in that middle ground yeah. for this year and next. Like yeah. that, this is a, like by signing him, you clearly want to keep the person that is Marcus Foligno in there and also like he's a very good defensive forward like he's finished in the top uh, uh, the top 10 for Selkie voting uh, once which was two years ago and then in the top 15 like he finished just outside the top 10 by finishing 11th the year before so clearly people view him very highly defensively mm-hmm. um, but 
we've seen that you know his offensive production uh, contribution can only really be driven by an unsustainable percentage that comes around every like five years really um, and then you're giving him four by four and with all this with all this uh, dead cap like which is an increase on his current 3.1 yeah so you're limiting even more you're basically committing to, to to being to standing pat for this year and next yeah and Look, maybe that's what you have to do because clearly getting rid of of, of Sutter and uh, Parise was very important for the growth of that team. Um, but man, like, just waste. The, not I don't want to even call it wasting, but just like, but just not giving Kirill Kaprizov the best opportunity to win for two years of his prime uh, just doesn't sit right with me. And fair. you know, so uh, again, I don't want to make I don't want to make anyone seem like I'm slandering Marcus Foligno here, you know, because he's a, he's a great third liner, but yeah. you don't usually pay third liners for $4 million for four years. It's, it's tough, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But let's talk about some positive stuff, shall we? Yeah. Let's talk about preseason standouts. Now, this, we're almost done the preseason. This is our last opportunity to talk about it. We've had a ton of, we've had two weeks of preseason play. So why don't we talk about the players that have impressed us the most this preseason? Ryan Munchakekasov. Yeah, so there's two players that have really caught my eye. The first is Matt Coronado in yes. Calgary. Uh, his production's been great, like a point-per-game guy. And, you know, it's very interesting because during his draft year, Coronado was kind of seen as a very kind of safe pick because he had great work ethic, mm -hmm. he was strong already, and obviously he was skilled. The, the question was always, you know, what's his ceiling once he gets to the NHL? But it's kind of funny. It almost feels like that has worked in his favor here where, yes, he is a young guy. You know, he played at Harvard uh, in the NCAA before he turned pro. But he's the kind of kid that you can pop into your lineup sooner than later mm. because, you know, he doesn't have to get as strong as some of the other players in the development curve. You know, he already had that strength. Yeah. And, uh, and, and obviously, you know, playing in uh, the NCAA, you get a lot more time in the weight room, especially Harvard, where they don't play uh, a really heavy schedule, even by NCAA standards. And they also, they, they lift weights with their minds there, That's too. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Coronado, you know, he's the sort of player where he's already off to a great start to his pro career. And this was the preseason I think he needed to have to establish himself as somebody that could be a Flames regular mm -hmm. straight out of the gate. So good on him. Now, what is the ultimate ceiling for Coronado? That's sort of the determination at this point. Is he an 80-point guy? Is he a 60-point guy? That to me is the, is the X factor. Mm -hmm. But I like that he has sort of used his strengths to his advantage early on and say like, yeah, I can hang with the big boys and I can contribute at both ends of the ice. So yeah, great on Matt Coronado to make the most of his training camp. Another player that's really interesting to me, another youngster, Mackie Samuskevich oh, you with the Florida Panthers. Yeah. All right. All right. You can, you can add on, but sure. you know, the Panthers, obviously they lost uh, a decent amount of talent over the summer. Did, yeah. um, I don't, you know, Samuskevich with the points he's putting up, I don't know if he's necessarily sealed himself with a roster spot, but he's put himself in the best position possible. He's accelerated his development, I think. Certainly. Yeah. And when you look at the Panthers' forward core, I mean, they're pretty flush already. I would say that, you know, Grigory Denisenko would maybe be the casualty if Sam Iskavich mm -hmm. sort of makes Florida take If he kind of forces their hand and say, like, I have done enough to earn a roster spot. Yes. Um, 
you know, Denisenko would probably be the guy that, that drops off because, you know, like a player like Ryan Lomberg brings a completely different skill set. And they love the Lamborghini they down do, there. They, they love Lomberg. Yeah. And so, and then you've got your Barkoffs and, you know, your Kachucks and Lundells and all those guys, Ooh. Bennett and Reinhardt. Yeah. 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 Um, but Samuskevich, I think, you know, he's established himself, at least in the preseason, as somebody that can really produce. Mm-hmm. And you can never have enough scoring. Yeah, no, you're right. You you took every you took the words right out of my mouth, Ryan. So mm-hmm. I'll give you that. Um, one is a guy, uh, one uh, someone who's really stood out to me. It's their first preseason, uh, and someone who I think is going to make people you know realize that they should have drafted him higher. Zach Benson. Yeah, he's having a phenomenal preseason with the Sabres. He looks like he is going to be a legit like like maybe not this year, but he looks like he is going to be a legit like they got a stud. Right. He should not have gone as low as he did. It's that it's that draft bias that if you're under five foot ten uh, or even five foot ten, unless you're like literally like Connor Bedard, who might be five eleven, but he's probably five foot ten. But you just don't go in the top ten. Like yeah. teams get spooked. Cole Caulfield, you know, it's like Cole Alex Caulfield. DeBrincat. The, yep. you know, it happens every year. And yep. Zach Benson, another guy who he's he's performing phenomenal. He's got two goals, two assists. Four points, but he is making like big league plays. Yeah. Like when I when I rewatch the highlights every night, like I I'm always every game that he's playing, I'm noticing Zach Benson. And there's a reason why he's he's already played four games, like yeah. like for this team. They are putting him, they're giving him extra games, giving him extra time to to impress. And another one who and it's unfortunate because he's injured now, he's gonna miss some time, but it's Connor Timmons. Right. Who was lead who was up until last night leading the entire NHL in preseason points despite only playing three games. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not even just a, a points production, is that this guy, you know, he is he was a formerly very highly regarded prospect. Um, you know, he was the main he was the main return in the Darcy Kemper trade uh, uh, for Arizona, but he, he fought injuries. Um, and you know, like a little bit of inconsistency because he's got great tools, right shot, big dude. He's like six four, I think, or six three. Um, never been able to put together, and it looked like in the preseason he was. He was playing with poise. He was shooting more regularly. He was he was just handling the puck a lot better. He looked a little more fleet of foot, which I think was his biggest drawback. And unfortunately, he's got a lower body injury. Uh, he's going to be out for some time. It's mm-hmm. significant as they're calling it. Um, so it's a shame, but he was looking really good, and he was looking like someone who was going to because he's making 1.1 million. He was looking like someone who was going to make the Leafs have to do some interesting deci- make some interesting decisions um, on, on their roster, just because he he makes a little bit more than I think they would like for someone to to fit in there. Uh, they have a ton of D already signed, and he ha- he needs waivers, so they were gonna they might have had to Lassie Thompson him, uh, as as we like to say, but. Now they just kick the can down the road. We'll see what happens. Who knows who will be on LTIR by the time he gets back. But yeah. it is a, it's a darn shame, but he was performing very well. But yeah, look, Zach Benson, the Sabres, the rich just get richer, man. Like, when it comes yeah. to good young players. And uh, unfortunately, his junior teammate, Matt Savoy, got hurt yes. in the Prospects Tournament. So that, and, you know, we thought, like, oh, maybe Savoy could make with, the team. Uh, same with Jack Quinn, right? So Jack Quinn was already yes, hurt. Exactly. So it kind of opens the door. Benson and then Yuri Kulich is a player that I'm very oh, intrigued yeah. by. Uh, with Buffalo, so yeah, the youth movement continues. It's huge, like it is great. We just have listened, and then we didn't even talk with JJ Paterka. You know? Yeah, like, like yeah. They, it is already like an said, NHL. Like I said, the rich get richer. Dang. Crazy. Um, all right, Ryan, we have our new segments. Um, this is the best. Now, yes. Ryan did it last week. I'm going to do it this week, and this is more of a, a, a basically we just list something that we think is the best in terms of hockey. Right. And my favorite is uh, is because I believe it's the Calgary Flames who release their inactives for their first preseason game. And the thing about that is teams have these things called reserve lists. 
players who are technically still part of their organization. They still hold their rights. And when you release your inactives at the start of every preseason, um, you basically, like, like at the, the inactives for the game, so like these players are all healthy scratches tonight, really. Yep. Um, then uh, uh, you have to, like you include everyone on your inactive list. And some of these guys are very funny uh, to look at. So for example, uh, the Calgary Flames, Keep in mind, this is the tw this is the 2023 Calgary Flames. Yeah. And they released their inactive list. They had um, Victor Bobrov was going to be uh, inactive. Uh, Victor Bro Bobrov, you might be like, wow, is he a really is he like a, a a sort of cutting edge young Russian prospect? No, he was drafted fifth uh, in the fifth round, 146th overall in 2002. Wow. He is 39 years old as a center, <laughs> um, and he was and he was listed as inactive because he's still on the reserve list. So look. If Calgary needs a center, they can call up Victor Barra and say, hey, we own your rights. Yeah. Get on over here. Yeah. Um, another guy. Let's say they need another center as well. They could call on Igor Shastin. Interesting. Igor Shastin. Uh, you might be thinking again, cutting edge young Russian prospect. Uh, maybe at one time, because he was drafted in the fourth round, 124th overall in 2001. Wow. He is 41 years old, and he is still on their reserve list. Another center. They could. They they have a ton. Like we're talking about some potential problems with center. They have all these. They have a trio of great Russian centers yeah. in their pipeline right now. Yuri Trubachev, fifth round pick, 164th overall, might be a late round steal. No, because he was drafted in 2001. Yeah. But yeah, he he is. Uh, uh, and another one as well. And this is the oldest one. You might need some some. You might need some some help on the wing. No, because you, you, you call up Ruslan Zainulin. He was actually drafted by Tampa in the second round. So he's a high pedigree guy, 34th overall too. So that's like yeah, a high second round pick good. in the year 2000. Yeah. This is a guy who is still on their reserve list. He was drafted 23 years ago. You'd almost be better asking these guys if they have sons that could play at it, this point. Almost yeah. certainly, yes. Yeah. And to top it all off, just for the local Leafs fans, uh, if the Leafs ever need help up front, they have Fabrice Herzog, 28-year-old guy who has not played, I believe hasn't played a single NHL game for them, um, but he is still in, in, their, in their system. They could trade him if they wanted to. They could any, like the Calgary Flames could trade 41-year-old, 2000 draft pick, Ruslan Zainulin. Right. Tomorrow if they And pretty much to. every team has these. Yes, and so they're like, they're a bunch, like I, I, I was looking them over, like for example, the Ottawa Senators, I was looking at theirs, Igor Mirnov, uh, sorry, Igor Mirnov. Uh, second round pick, 67th overall in 2003. He's still on their list. Dmitry Megalinsky, sixth round pick, 186th overall in 2005. He's 38. Kirill Liamen, um, se uh, second round, 58th overall in 2004. And the list goes on and on. Sergei Gimayev. Every most the thing is, not every team has these. Uh -huh. I was looking through all of them, and not every team has these. But there are certain teams that still have these 40-year-old dudes who were drafted two decades ago. They still have yeah. them on the reserve lists. And they still list them as healthy scratches at the start of the preseason. And if you needed them, they could call them up and say, hey, we own your rights. Get on over here. Yeah. Get to work. And um, they will say, I don't own skates anymore. Exactly. But I'll see what I can do. Uh, so that is, that's my, the best. Uh, the it, best reserve list. The best, the best names from the reserve list. Uh, a bunch of 40-year-old dudes who probably <laughs> forgot that they uh, are, are still unaware that they, their rights uh, are owned by an NHL team. There Very you go. Interesting. Let's go to rapid fire. As, as uh, I said before, last week Ryan did it. So this week I'm going to do it. And here's the thing. We, uh, uh, in rapid fire, we're doing it a bit different this year in that we're actually doing rapid fire questions instead of like two questions that we ask that we give long answers to that wasn't rapid at all. Right. Um, so here we go, Ryan. Yep. 
What was your university meal? A meal that like in university was your default one, you probably didn't have a ton of money or a ton of time or a ton of energy, but you needed sustenance. What was a meal that you whipped up for yourself in university? Yeah, I would say it was definitely like pasta with just basic tomato sauce mm -hmm. and uh, sausage. I lived near St. Lawrence Market in Toronto, which is like the big foodie yes. place. Uh, so I could always just get like one or two sausages there. And then I would also uh, get sort of pre-made garlic bread that all you would have yes. to do is put it in the oven. Uh, and one time we had a party at our apartment and uh, some drunk guy ate it and he was like, I don't feel so well. I was like, yeah, because it's raw. You're supposed to put it in the oven first. So he was just eating like raw. Like dough, kind of? Well, the bread was kind of cooked, but like the butter and like yeah. all the stuff was not cooked. Ooh. Yeah, so that, that's what he gets for stealing my food. That is tough. Mine was, um, like it was the frozen McCain, uh, like McCain would have these frozen like like diced potatoes. Oh. And I would just throw them in a pan with like olive oil and cook them into hash browns and eat them. Maybe not the best health food um, for that. But, and, and another one would be, uh, like it was, it, it was going viral. It wasn't when I was in university, but it was before I really learned and taught myself how to cook was the, uh, like the penne alla vodka, which is actually really easy to make where you just dice up an onion and some garlic, throw it in there, put like paprika and some spices and then tomato sauce and, and some cream and some cheese and you're good to go. You throw in some pasta, ready to rock, but yeah, all right. Mm. Ryan, have you ever walked out of a movie before? I've never walked out of a movie, mm -hmm. usually because I'm with other people at the time. So that means I have sat through reindeer games the, really? ben the Ben Affleck, Charlie's Charlie Theron, Theron Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and also Powder, the movie uh, about... Is that the Mariah Carey one? No, that was something else. Powder that was, glitter, was... Yeah, it was Glitter. Yeah, yeah. Powder was about like some young man who... I don't even remember what his powers were, but the central conceit was that he got weird powers because his mother got struck by lightning while she was giving birth to him. And as soon as that happened, I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. But I was with like seven other people, ah. so it's like, I'm stuck. I've walked out of, I can't remember, but I've walked out of one movie. And it wasn't, like, the movie's not good, but it was due to, um, I walked out of, it was the, like the Lion King remake. Okay. So I, I love going to the movies alone. <clears throat> and, uh, like, at the time, I was in a long-term relationship with someone, and, and, and they had a dog. And I loved that dog like it was my own. Sadly, that dog just passed away, like, the week before. It was, it was, it was like losing a family member. Mm. So I'm like, I need to... I like going to the movies on my own to clear my mind. I'll go to The Lion King, uh, not even thinking. And then, as we know in The Lion King, animals die pretty tragically. And I yes. went, I'm out. I can't do this. But, to be fair, that movie is very bad. So, <laughs> I'm likely... On top of everything. I likely would have, would have walked out of it regardless. There you go. Um, what was your, you're someone who doesn't like when live music is foisted upon you. Correct. You, that is your least favorite thing. Yes. In fact, we've had to hold you back at multiple venues from, from engaging in fisticuffs <laughs> with yes. buskers and whatnot. <laughs> yes. If I'm at a restaurant and somebody plays, I hate it. I only want to hear music if I directly Give the, consciously consent. pay for it. Yeah. Yes. I will buy a ticket to see music. If not, I do not want to hear your cover of Wonderwall while I try to eat chicken fingers. Cool. Yeah. Or maybe... You gonna change your mind on that one? No. No? Okay. The only well, two good Oasis songs are the one where the other guy sings and the one where neither of them sing. Damn, you're not a big Gallagher brother guy. No, I think they should actually be stand-up comedians. They're much They're funnier. They're hilarious. They're funnier than they are good at music. Um, so, in terms of movies that you did, or not movies, concerts that you did pay money for, yeah. what was your worst concert experience? Okay, so I, I would say 
I was thinking about this, and because I choose which I go to, uh, I haven't had many bad concert experiences. And th but this one, it wasn't the band's fault. Yeah. I went to see Primus, and they were. It was during that era where bands would do like a classic album, like all the songs, and they were doing Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Mm -hmm. So me and my brother went, and Primus was awesome. But the crowd was like really weird, and like at one point, some guy threw his leather jacket onto Les Claypool's bass. And Les Claypool, That's expensive man. Yeah, but like like during a song, and Les Claypool, like they were almost like, we will stop playing. Mm -hmm. So it's like that was a bad experience because it's like, what? Why would you come to see Primus if you don't like Primus or if you just want to like ruin the mess concert? Mess with them, yeah. Yeah, why would you mess with them? Like you paid to be here. So that was that wasn't Primus's fault, but that was a bad experience. Wow. See, I don't like I don't go to many concerts, so like I, I'm I'm speaking I'm not speaking for. Uh, uh, like for, for a large volume here, but I would say um, I went to my my grade nine tutor took me to OVO Fest. You know what OVO Fest oh, yeah. is? Yeah. yeah, like but back when I was in grade like in grade nine, the summer of grade nine, um, and it was a great concert because I got to see like the weekend before he blew up. Drake, like Lil Wayne, came out, whatever, and shock like the surprise guest was Stevie Wonder, and we're like, whoa, wow. this is great. The thing about that, though, is Stevie Wonder played for about half an hour longer than he should have. Ah. To the point where Drake had to come on and make up a freestyle to basically ask him to leave the stage. Yeah. Like, he, was, like he, had to, he had to come on and, like, freestyle to basically Stevie Wonder just playing on the, on the keyboard, like, just yeah. scatting, basically. Right. And Drake had to come and be like, yo, Stevie Wonder, like, this was great, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, all right, time to move on. Like, hey, that yo, kind of stuff. Your time slots over. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it was, it, it was, uh, that was, and also, like, there were, there were these two people who kept standing up. It was at, uh, at the time, it was the Mole Snap Theater, and, and it's being renamed to Budweiser Stage. Um, but you have, like, these seats. Like, you have, like, actual seats in front of you. It's not just a giant like pit or whatever, these mm. people kept standing on the seats and I'm not very tall on the best of days. Mm. So I could barely see for most of it and we had to ask them, they were like, don't tell me how to live my life. And I was like, I'm 14, just let me watch the rappers. Right. Um, anyway, yeah, so that was great. Uh, and then Ryan, the final question here. Um, this is more of a cooking one as well. What spice do you think is grossly overused in most recipes? Yeah, that's an interesting one uh, because I usually keep it pretty simple, but I feel like uh, people don't shut up about saffron. Really? Yeah. Hearing a lot of saffron talk these days on, yeah. on the streets. Saffron's fine, but yeah, whatever. It's I don't know if it's a spice because you can powder it, so I guess it'll be a spice. But ginger? Yeah, ginger's a big one too. I find that people like I I was making like a couple months ago I was making homemade uh, uh, like general so chicken like just to mm -hmm. see if I could you know mess around in the kitchen. I I have a wok, so I was able to do it, and like the recipe that I was using. Um, at, like like I, I followed their ginger recipe like like or I followed their recipe for just like a normal what it would taste like what I thought it would be like like takeout and and I guess that this one recipe in particular just loves ginger because that's all I could taste right and I'm just and and then now every time I literally every time I make like an Asian inspired dish now I if I look at the recipe and it has ginger I will like You're out. I will I, no but like I will cut it by like Two thirds. Like mm. I will, you know how like for garlic, yeah, I will yeah. add like four times the amount of garlic that the recipe calls for. Yeah. I will do the opposite. I will only add a quarter of, gotcha. of what they. Yeah. So I find that ginger is that. But fair enough. There we go. So that's another podcast. Um, next week it will be the the regular season. We'll be mm. getting to talk about stuff uh, that matters, as we say, um, and also it will be the greatest time of the year. Ryan, I guess we'll see. Uh, I guess we'll see our listeners then. Yes, we will.